And uh, as you and I sit here tonight, we sit at Fostoria Baptist Church, don't we? And uh, I, along with you, we obviously um, believe that um, it is good and right for us to identify ourselves as Baptists. And to have that in our name, and certainly we have, and many of us for uh, the entirety of our existence, we've attended a Baptist church, okay? And uh, we, we think that's right. However, let me put it this way, and I want to explain to our young children here and our teenagers, just maybe reiterate again, and, and maybe a visitor or friend uh, who uh, is here. The reason that we are Baptist is because we are first and foremost Biblicists. Okay, that is crucial. I, I, I think sometimes we don't say that enough, or maybe we don't express that enough. I, I, I am delighted. I think it is right and good to be a Baptist, but the reason I am a Baptist is because I am a Biblicist. Now, here's what's interesting. Even the world as we would know it uh, would, would look at the term Biblicist and define it in a certain way. Uh, Merriam-Webster, certainly not a Christian dictionary by any stretch of the imagination, they would define a Biblicist as one who adheres to the letter of the Bible. And so you see the statement in that. It's like the letter of the law. You, you, you follow it, precept upon precept. You follow it, statement after statement after statement, instruction upon instruction. That, that's what even the, the world would say is a biblicist. Another or several definitions or several dictionaries would define a biblicist as this, a person who interprets the Bible literally. And to that I say, amen. <laughs> amen. We interpret it literally. It means what it says. It is what it is. There's no confusion about that. We believe it to be the word of God, powerful, inerrant, instructive, and the very words of life. Furthermore, we are Baptists because the basic belief system and the tenets of the Baptist tradition hold true to what we read in the Scriptures and what they teach. So if I'm a Biblicist, I'm looking, okay, so if we look at many denominations, if we look at many titles and terminologies, uh, why am I a Baptist? Well, I'm a Baptist, and we here are Baptists because we believe the Baptist tradition holds to the Scriptures the closest. We see that in the scriptures because we have John the Baptist called John the Baptist. Why was that so? Well, one of the crucial doctrines is the reality of being baptized by immersion and being baptized not for salvation, but as a follower of Jesus Christ. Declaring that I have already trusted in Jesus Christ and the baptism is just identifying with him. That is a crucial aspect about the doctrine and certainly what the Bible here teaches. Now, let me say this. If I were to find a Baptist church that denied a basic doctrine of the Bible, I would not attend that Baptist church. It's funny, just before the service, someone caught me here, and uh, uh, they were sharing with me a neighbor, <laughs> a neighbor who told them that they had been talked to by a Baptist and then proceeded to say that this Baptist shared with them an erroneous doctrine, an erroneous teaching of Scripture. Can a Baptist be wrong? You better believe it. We're biblicists, and boy, I, I, I'll, I'll ensure that I, I, I don't adhere and say, oh, I agree with that Baptist. No, I'll agree with any biblicist, though, someone who takes the Bible literally and adheres to everything it says. Now, again, I'm proud to be a, um, uh, a Baptist, but the ultimate difference maker is not whether someone is a Baptist, but whether they are a biblicist. You and I have probably both met, I know I have, those who did not identify as a Baptist but who would hold to the literal teaching of the Bible, its doctrines and such. 
Now, however, all that said, I believe the denominational terms do help us today to know what someone believes and where they stand on the Bible. Where they stand on the Bible. See, a term as Baptist, a term as Lutheran, a, a term as a Catholic, it will tell us something. It is an informative label or classification that says, okay, this person believes this. Most likely, again, there's always going to be a, an exception or somebody that deviates a church, Baptist church that deviates maybe from some, what we would consider a Baptist doctrine. Reality is, though, most likely it tells us, informs of, of what they believe and where they stand on the Bible in certain doctrines. Hence the reason I am proudly a Baptist. <laughs> and I think it is right and good to be so because I think it adheres as great as anything to the, uh, what we would call the biblicist or the way of a biblicist. Now I say all that to say this, okay? The reality is, as we look at the scriptures, when God led the human authors of the New Testament to write about those who loved him, treasured his word, he did not call them by any denominational name as we would use today. Only thing we found, find is what I alluded to earlier, John the Baptist. So that tells me something and encourages me about something is this. Well, then what does God use to refer to his children? His own. What does he call his own and what is the importance of that? See, I would say, someone asked me, you know, are, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian and I'm a Baptist. Why do, you, why do you claim to be a Baptist? Because here's what Baptists believe and I believe that holds to the scripture. I'm a biblicist and so I believe the Baptist belief system is in line with being a biblicist. Okay? I would explain that to somebody and tell them, here's why I claim the term or the label Baptist because I think it's important. Here's why I claim even more so the term biblicist. I want them to know how highly I view God's word. That it is the greatest book and most important book, and it is the very gift of God to mankind. So those labels and terms tell us something. Now, when God spoke of his own in those scriptures, or shall I say this, when God allowed the authors to use certain terms to describe his own in the scriptures, it meant something. There's importance behind the different terminology, the different labels, the different terms that he has given us in the New Testament. We find at least five different titles or names that God uses or allows the authors to use for his own. And I think each one speaks to something. It speaks to a certain characteristic of his own. And we'll look forward to seeing that tonight. To begin with, let's look at Acts chapter 5, William. Acts chapter number 5, we'll look down at verse number 14. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, we'll be all over the book of Acts, as that's an important book, historical book for the church, and so we'll see many of these terminologies found within here. But look at Acts chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, and believers were the more added to the church, multitudes both of men and women. First terminology we see for God's own is this, believers, believers. Paul would use that same term. It would be used in other places too. Paul would say this, let no man despise thy youth. He's speaking to Timothy. But be thou an example of the believers, uh, God's own, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Don't miss it. What does the term believer speak to? Well, it's pretty simple, straightforward. Here's what it speaks to. It describes our convictions. 
It describes our convictions. When I say I'm a believer, when you say you are a believer, you're speaking to the convictions, describing the very convictions you hold. You say, Pastor Henry, what does God say are the convictions of a believer, one of his own? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. In fact, we saw much of it this morning, but I would put it in a paragraph form if I could. A believer is one who holds dearly the truth and conviction that Jesus Christ is God. That he is our savior, the one who lived a sinless life and died on the cross, shedding his blood and giving his life so that we, through him, could gain heaven and lose hell. Hell being the just penalty for our sin. And that he rose again the third day. And that he ascended into heaven. And after being viewed here on earth and now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us his own. My friend, that is a believer. Someone who holds to these convictions and understands, all right, here is Christ, who Christ is. Here is what God has done for me, what Jesus Christ has done. A believer believes this and do not miss it. It's a conviction. He believes it as much as he believes what he can see, what he can touch, what he can smell, what he can hear. Carson came down the stairs the other night, and uh, Erica was cooking dinner, and she was cooking some sausage and things like that, and Carson is one of my foodies, okay? He comes down the stairs, he goes, oh, what is that wonderful smell? I smell sausage. I can't wait to eat it. And he's a teenage boy, so he'll eat it, eat it and eat it and eat it and eat it and eat it, okay? Smell. What do we have? Yeah, you may say, hey, I, can, I, I touch this, this, this pulpit. I, I can touch the pew I sit in. I can, I can hear things. I can hear sound, okay? At the beginning of the service, we heard that the mic wasn't fully on, right? Then it came on, and we could hear better, right? So uh, we can hear things. We can, a believer believes these things as much as he does anything that he can touch, anything that he can smell, anything that he can see, anything that he can hear. We see and, and we hear and we touch with sensory organs. And that's the, the, the medical term or the scientific term. Maybe it would be a better classification. But with our sensory organs, we use our nose and our eyes and our ears and our, and our hands. We, we touch, we feel, we smell, we hear. How in the world does a believer, how does a believer come to believe? Well, the Bible tells us, and you and I know it well, for with the blank, man believeth. For with the heart, man believeth. For with the heart, man believe it. So as you and I would use our hands and our, and our nose and our eyes and our ears to, to touch something, hear something, feel something, smell something, and believe those things to be true, my friend, you and I, from the heart, we believe in God and in Jesus Christ, and we hold that as a conviction. When you and I are called believers, it literally means you and I hold to the conviction that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again the third day, that he ascended to heaven, even there interceding on our behalf, that he has purchased salvation for you and I. It is a heart conviction. So it does not, should not be taken lightly when we read in the Bible and then we hear and we read believers, believers, someone of conviction, someone who believes what the Bible says. It's a heart conviction. He believes in his Lord and Savior and such a conviction orders his steps, guides his way in this life. Such a person is one of God's own. Don't you remember what Christ himself said in John 20, 29? He said this, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed, believed. My friend, can I encourage you today? Are you a believer? 
you believe? Do you have the convictions of who Christ is and what the Bible says he is? Do you have faith rooted conviction? Conviction that nothing can separate you from? I'll never give it up. I'll never deny who Jesus Christ is. I'll never give up everything that the Bible claims he is, that God says he is. It is my conviction. Therefore, I am a believer. Boy, it sure is a sweet thought to think when God looks down from heaven, he says, ah, that person right there, he's a believer. He's mine. He's a believer. He has, by conviction, believed what I have given him in his word. Number two, we see in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 3. We go over a chapter, Acts chapter 6 and verse number 3. Notice what it says. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and, and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. Number one, we see believers. That indicates, describes our conviction. Number two, we see the terminology brethren or brother, sister, all of that certainly encompassed here. It's used broadly throughout the New Testament. One of the more famous or popular passages we would know would be Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore... Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What does this term describe? Well, as believers described our conviction, the term brethren or brother, sister, would describe our company. Our company, the company we keep. We belong to a special group. Uh, You and I uh, have a description by God in his word of a special place that we possess in his family. In fact, we would say it as such, we are described as brothers and sisters in Christ. What does that mean? It speaks to belonging. It speaks to companionship. It speaks to camaraderie. It it speaks to having the greatest thing in common, our faith. Those convictions we just talked about. It has brought us into a group that is unlike any other. It has caused you and I to uh, congregate, uh, to assemble together as a part of the very church of Christ. It's interesting, as you look across the world, most of the world wants to belong to something greater than themselves. They yearn for, for fellowship and community. Mankind yearns for that belonging to something. Hence, we have such terms as team and posse and entourage, gang, club, you name it. We have all of these terminology for something, a society, many other terminologies that we belong to something. Oh, I belong to this. I belong to this. Yet each one of these are man-made. They do not last. They do not offer what belonging to the family of God alone offers. You see, my friend, our Heavenly Father, when He's in heaven, He looks down here, He sees His children. Could you think on that for a moment? Tonight, as you and I gather at Fostoria Baptist Church, God in heaven looks down on us. You know what He sees? He doesn't see a group of Michiganders. He doesn't just see a group of people gathered together. He looks in this place. You know what He sees? His sons and daughters gathered together, gathered to worship Him, gathered to grow in knowledge of Him, gathered in His name he sees brothers and sisters in good company with one another all belonging to his family you belong to the family tonight are you thankful you belong to the family tonight if you are rejoiced that god in heaven sees you as one of his as part of his family i love what second corinthians six eighteen says it simply says this god saying i will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the lord almighty Now, would you look with me at Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1? We see the next name described for us. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1. 
First, we are called believers. It refers and describes our convictions. Make sure you have those convictions. Number two, the terminology is brethren or brother, sister. That refers to our company. Make sure you enjoy all that you have in that terminology. It certainly speaks to the desire and the intimation of God that he would have us gather together. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Then we come to Acts chapter 6, verse number 3. Or excuse me, Acts chapter 9, verse number 1. Notice what it says. Uh, here, Paul, um, or excuse me, Luke recording this for us. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Now, this is an interesting terminology, right? So, number three, what do we call? God has a name for his own, that is the term disciples. Disciples. Now, the name is broadly used and, and, and very familiar with us throughout, but yet it is both broadly and specifically used. It was used in reference to the original 12, the 12 disciples as we know about and certainly have studied. In fact, we see the verse in Luke 9, 1, then he called his 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Yet it is also used extensively to refer to a large group, many others. Notice this passage, if you will. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, that's six of chapter 6 of Acts, excuse me, verse 1. And then in the verse 2, then the 12, referring to those 12, called the multitude of the disciples unto them. So we see this terminology. It's used to describe the 12, but it's also used to describe really all the followers of Jesus Christ. All the disciples, the multitude of disciples as we see it used here. What is this terminology reference? So when I think that I am a believer, it ought to remind me of my convictions. It describes what I have as convictions. When I hear someone call me Brother uh, Brother Henry, and uh, Brother brother Rick Mitchell always calls me Brother Henry, and uh, many of you too, if he knows your name and so forth, we we refer to you, Brother so-and-so. What does it remind me of? The company we have. The number three, if you and I are called a disciple, it speaks to something else too, and you might have guessed it. it. It describes commitment, commitment. There is something to discipleship. There is something to being a disciple of something, and in this case, of Jesus Christ. It denotes one's devotion, one's followership, one's dedication. We might say that a disciple is one who is committed to his Lord. He's committed to his teachings and his instructions, and is committed to pleasing him and glorifying him in all things. It is a trifold commitment. He's committed to his Lord. Above all else, we are committed to Jesus Christ. His name above every name. We are committed to his teachings. That's why we hold the scriptures uh, as so dearly. One of, the, um, uh, one of the differentiating beliefs of Baptists, and I always remember the acronym, the, the term Baptist, right? B stands for Bible as the sole authority for faith and practice. We take what we believe straight from God's word. It is the sole authority. There's not some guy wearing a robe over in Italy that tells us what to believe. Uh, There's no somebody in some other church that tells us what to believe. No, I don't tell you and I what to believe. God's word does. And so we take it. That's our sole authority. So we are dedicated. We are committed to Christ's teachings, his instructions. And then we are committed to glorifying him. In fact, I like to put it this way. A disciple has a mission statement. And if we were saying, what is the mission statement of a disciple of Jesus Christ? I think Paul captured it well in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. I don't live for myself. I'm a disciple. I'm committed to Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for him above everything else and ensure that everything I do brings him glory. Peter is a great example of this, and yet he vassaled at times. He vacillated, excuse me, at times. He, he, he kind of waffled at times. Yet he makes a statement. In fact, he makes a statement in Luke chapter 22 and verse 33. And when he, don't miss this, when he makes the statement, it's probably not true. In other words, it's probably not really in his heart. But later on, a short time later, I believe that it is exactly true. And here's what I believe that we could describe it as. Here is a disciple's commitment put into words. A disciple's commitment verbalized. Peter said it. You say, Pastor Henry, what did he say? Well, Christ was telling the disciples what was going to happen there in that week leading up to his crucifixion and his crucifixion and things. And Peter said in Luke chapter 22, verse 3, he said this, And he said unto him, that's Peter, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And we all know what happened next, right? Jesus Christ looks at Peter and says, listen, Peter, you're going to deny me. That's not true. But can I tell you, what do we read of in Acts and the following things? It became very true of Peter. He became a disciple. Who This commitment he verbalized, he later lived out. He lived according to that mission statement of 1 Corinthians 10.31. And this is a great statement that we have for a true, committed disciple. You say, what is that? Well, Peter's saying what? I'm ready to follow you anywhere. And may I just tell you tonight, when you and I hear that we are called disciples of Jesus Christ, it ought to humble us, but it also ought to challenge us that we would say to our Lord, I will follow you anywhere and in anything. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is what he calls us throughout his word, if you put your faith and trust in him, he wants you and I to be disciples. He wants his own to be disciples of Jesus Christ. I think of our teenagers and our juniors heading off to camp. There may be some area in your life that you are not a true follower of Jesus Christ. You haven't given it to him. You haven't surrendered that area. And tonight, you need to say, Lord, I, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I, I, I'll go, I, I want to be disciple of Jesus Christ. So, Father, this week, if you show me anything, I will go anywhere and I will do anything if you but ask. If you but ask. That's the commitment of a disciple. It's what God sees when he sees his own or what he should see. So the challenge for you and I tonight, am I living up to the name? Are we living up to the name of a disciple? Am I living like a disciple today? Is my commitment to Christ and his word obvious to all? The challenge is for you and I to strive to live every day, to live up to this wonderful name God has given his own. So as we think about what we've seen, number one, you and I, we're called believers. It speaks to our conviction. Number two, we're called brethren, sisters, brothers speaks to our company number three we're called disciples and that speaks to our commitment do we have it and then number four we see we find in acts chapter 11 verse 26 turn with me there acts chapter 11 and verse 26 notice what we have written for us here certainly understood we'd get here at some point verse 26 and when he had found him he brought him unto antioch and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples, there's that terminology again, were called Christians 
first in Antioch. So, you know it. You know we'd be here. Number four, Christians. Broad term. It's probably the most familiar one and most used today. But I dare say, and don't miss it tonight, and boy, I would stress this to our young people. If there is a term for believers, for God's own, that is misused, it has to be Christian. <laughs> Seems like everybody and their brother will use or claim the term Christian, and yet they do not know what it means. They do not understand biblically what God would use that term to describe, how it came to be even historically in the scriptures as it is used. Familiar one, Peter would use it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. He says, yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, and uh, uh, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, uh, glorify God on his behalf. You remember King Agrippa, Paul witnessed to him. He shared the truth, his own testimony. King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 and verse 28 said what? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Christian. The terminology that was assigned to um, God's own. So what exactly does the term Christian mean? Well, interestingly, historically, we, we think it probably arose as a derogatory term. It was somewhat used as a mocking term, showing up here in Antioch and the persecution that they were enduring at that time. And as the the believers fled Jerusalem and they spread out across the known world, the Roman Empire, as they went into different places, these new people that arrived and they were acting kind of odd. They were a little different because uh, they weren't like other Gentiles. They weren't like Jews and, and they weren't like others. And they followed this guy named Jesus Christ. They didn't just follow him. They, they literally patterned their lives after him. And so those who came to see these people, they don't miss it. They were characterized as Christians. Why? Their behavior, their speech centered on Jesus Christ. Their lives were somewhat of a, uh, the idea of surrounding Christ. It, it, their lives were all about it. They, did you catch what happened in Antioch? They taught many people. They told many people about Jesus Christ. It was evident in their living, their behavior, their acts. Literally, they were marginalized as followers of Christ. They were labeled as belonging to the party of Christ. Now, historically, during this time, there would be many uh, labels given to groups of people who followed. Maybe a politician, maybe a, a, a soldier, a general, things like that. You can look down through history, and, and many books would show and demonstrate that this was true. They, they would say if you're, uh, they would use that person's name and, and put it in one term to describe someone who followed that politician, followed that philosopher, followed uh, that great general or whatever that would be. So here they have done the same, again, in a probably derogatory term. Literally, the term means, and you see it up here, one who belongs to Christ. One who belongs to Christ. And in their behavior and in their living, they are striving to be imitators of him. Early on as a child, I remember hearing it preached, the terminology Christian means little imitators of Christ. Little imitators. Literally, the world meant it derogatory. You're, you're, you're just like a miniature, yeah, a, a miniature little Christ. You're a, a, a mini Christ running around. And they meant it as a derogatory term. They meant it as to, to cut someone down. You know, I'll tell you right now, those believers took that as a badge of honor. They cherished being called a Christian, a follower of Christ. I belong to Christ. You see, what does it describe? Well, you probably guessed it. 
How were they known? Well, through their behavior and their actions. Therefore, the terminology Christian describes our conduct. Describes our conduct. We identify with Christ by how we live. We, we strive to be just like Him, to live like Him, to act like Him, to talk like Him, to be minded like Him. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We want to walk in His footsteps. We want to conduct our lives just as He did. We want to follow Him in all things, in every aspect of our conduct. You see, though the world initially intended it to be mocking, the, the believers no doubt cherished being called a Christian because that's exactly what our Heavenly Father wants for us. Don't miss it. His desire for you and I is to live in such a way that others know that we belong to Christ. Do you understand why they stuck out in Antioch? Why, when they first came there to Antioch, all of a sudden these people like, these people are different. What are we going to call them? Okay? It's funny. I joke about it. Um, obviously, we're in the north, okay? When I lived in Virginia, everybody said, hey, you sound like a northerner. Then I come to Michigan, they're like, oh, you sound like a southerner. I can't win for losing. We like to identify people where they're from. We like to label them, whatever the case may be, right? And we throw labels on them and descriptions and so forth. You realize they came to Antioch, these people were like, who are these people? So they watched them. They listened to them. And as they watched them and as they listened to them, then they came up. You know, all they do is talk about this Jesus Christ. All they do is say, well, we can't do that because Christ wouldn't want us to. We've got to do this because Christ wants us to. Man, all they all, all they are like little Christ. Hey, I know. Let, let's call them Christian. Let's call them Christian. Little Christ. Little imitators of Christ. And so throughout the New Testament, God in heaven chose to use this term to describe his own. Because my friend, he wants you and I to live in such a way that those around us know that we belong to Jesus Christ. I am his and he is mine in our conduct and how we live. Are you a Christian today? Oh, I, I don't mean are you a believer, are you saved? I mean, are you living in such a way that removes all doubt that you belong to Jesus Christ? Are you conducting your life in such a way that people around you say, yeah, you gotta be a Christian. Something different. There's something different about them. Something different about you. Are you conducting your life in such a way that screams, I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Finally, we consider the last terminology, and this is a, a misconstrued one in our modern world for sure, but um, it's important. So believers, conviction. Brethren, our company. Disciples, our commitment. Christians, our conduct. And then last but not least, we turn to Acts chapter 9 and verse number 13. Turn with me there, if you will. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 13. In Acts chapter 9 and verse number 13, here's what we read. Then Ananias answered, and now he's responding. God has spoken to him and said, hey, I want you to go visit Saul, who would become Paul. And Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints in Jerusalem. Number five, the terminology we hear that God has allowed or led the human authors of the New Testament to use is the terminology of saints. Saints. It's much referenced in the scriptures. 
And uh, Paul would use it. Here's an instance, Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 1, Paul says this, salute every saint in Christ Jesus, every believer, everyone who's put their faith in him. Salute everyone. The brethren, there's that terminology again, which are with me, greet you. Interestingly, that, that word that is translated as saints comes from, is derived from the word agios. Right? In the Greek, it means holy. It means consecrated to God, sacred, pious. Okay? It's most often used in the scriptures in its plural form. So it's referring to a group. It's referring to a group of people set apart to be holy, set apart to be consecrated for the Lord and his kingdom. When God uses the term saints, he's saying something when he leads and allows the Holy Spirit does, the authors of the New Testament, to refer to his own as saints. He's referencing this. It's most often used to reference godly character of one who claims to belong to Jesus Christ or God. For instance, Paul. Paul would speak to the believers in Ephesus, and he would use this term, and notice how he uses it. But fornication... And all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be named once among you, hear it, as becometh saints. As described saints, as is characterized by the terminology saint. A saint ought to have nothing to do with fornication, ought to have nothing to do with uncleanness or covetousness. And we could go on an entire list from the New Testament. A saint, one of God's own, who he looks on and calls a saint, ought to have nothing to do with that. So what does it speak to? You've already guessed it. We've already referenced it. It speaks to character. It describes the very character of who we should be. It speaks of holy living. It speaks of heeding and obeying. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. But let's make this point. From even the instances we've seen already here in the scripture of the use of the term saints, don't miss this crucial point. It's simply this. God would say that all believers are saints, were set apart, were consecrated, and yet all believers are also called to be saints. Now, that's an important nuance within the scripture. We saw it, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, we're called to be saints. Then he says in Philippians chapter 4, he said, all who are saints. So we are, and we ought to be. Now, you say, Pastor, that doesn't make much sense. We are, and we ought to be. Okay, so what is he saying by that? Well, the scriptures give us a good verse. Specifically, Paul gives us a good verse that explains how all believers are saints, set apart, consecrated, and yet all believers are called to be saints. What does he say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 2, we have a great verse that illustrates this. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. With all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Okay? Them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Okay? That's hagizo is the Greek word there, and hagios is the, the, the Greek word for saints. So same word, same Greek word, just an iteration of it, a, a, a derivation of it. And he says, listen, one, you are sanctified, you are set apart in Christ Jesus, but boy, I sure want you to live like a saint. I want you to live like somebody who is consecrated, dedicated. You're holy, 
like Jesus Christ. In fact, we'd put it in this statement. You've been set apart unto Christ, so live like it. Live like it. The Catholics have the idea of saints all wrong. Someone reaching sainthood and so forth and such. I love to talk to a Catholic and I love to tell them I'm a saint. I'm a saint here on earth. How are you a saint? You have to do so many things and the church has to vote on you as a saint. No, 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 no. God said the moment you put your faith and trust in him, you're a saint. You've been set aside. You've been sanctified. You've been consecrated. You You are holy in his eyes, much like we talked about this morning. You are righteous. But at the same time, you and I are called to live like one. To live holy. To live like Jesus Christ. Live holy in this life. Live life as Christ would live it. Do what pleases him. When God looks down from heaven, he sees his saints. The question is this. Are his saints living like saints? Are we living holy? Do we let every area, or as the Bible would say, in all manner of conversation, am I holy? Am I living like a saint? Boy, I sure am thankful for the many names that God has chosen to use for us in his own word. Can I encourage you this week, don't forget them. More importantly, don't forget what they describe. And make sure that that's present in our lives. You know, this week, you and I ought to remind ourselves frequently of these truths. Number one, I am a believer. It describes my convictions. I want to hold to them dearly. I want to defend them with every ounce of my being. Number two, I am a brother or sister. That describes my company. Father, help me to enjoy the family of God. Help me to be the proper member I ought to be. Help me to be the proper family member that I should. And help me to enjoy the company. Number three, I am a disciple. And so I want to live up to that commitment. I want to demonstrate my commitment in all that I do and say, I'm also a Christian. What does that mean? Ought to describe my conduct. I want to live as such. I want to live so there's no doubt in anyone's mind that I belong to Jesus Christ. My words, my actions. I, I want to be a Christian this week. And then you and I, we can say I am a saint. I want to be holy this week. I want my character to match that of Jesus Christ. I want it to be obvious that I am his and he is mine. I trust God will help us to do just that this week. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm grateful for the names that, that you have used here in the New Testament to describe us and to encourage us. And, and Father, really to describe for us what it means to be one of your children. Help us now, Father, to take these truths. And Father, I I pray this week as we hear the term Christian, as we hear maybe the term disciple, as we hear uh, any of these terms or we think of them and read of them in your word, that we would think of these truths. And we would ensure that they describe in us exactly what that term means. Father, I am so very thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the truth that it conveys and the message that it gives. And Father, I am grateful that we can find our doctrine and what to believe and the rudiments of our faith within your word. Now, Father, as you have called us these things, help us to live up to them. Help us to gladly and freely, proudly, confidently claim every one of these names. And then, Father, I pray that the very characterization each of one of them describes would be found in our lives. 
Help us now in this invitation, Father. We pray and we think of even our teenagers as they head off the camp. What a, what a great way to start, Father, to, to purpose, uh, to follow these things and to live out these things in their life. And so, Lord, would you help us in this invitation? Would you bless in the week ahead, too, with our teenagers? And would you just do a mighty work there? But now in this moment, Father, I pray that we would commit ourselves, we would dedicate ourselves, we would consecrate ourselves to living according to what you would see us to be ask us to be and call us to be now bless in this invitation as only you can